Hello there. Uh, this is Joseph Byers, and I am going to talk to you a little bit about Graymore. Uh, apologize for the absence. Uh, things lately have been pretty busy. Um, recently, I kickstarted a new podcast. Um, it's called Third Shift Thoughts, if you ever want to look into that. Um, in addition to that, there's just been a lot going on in life right now to where I haven't really focused on Graymore as much. Uh, personally, I didn't know, you know, whether people were still interested in it, um, things like that. So I kind of put it on the back burner for now. So I'm going to do a double episode this today and this week. Um, that way I can bring everyone up to speed. Uh, there should be a couple more episodes in the serial, and then I'm going to take another long hiatus with it to write. Um, definitely turn it into a book as people were recommending to me. But to start, we're going to go with uh, episode 2.3, which is called Smoke Signals. We loaded my parents up into the ambulance. The smoke began to ascend into the hues of the night, with the moon playing peekaboo with the earth. I followed the smoke into the clouds inside. I turned back to Amy and the dogs. You guys can head home. I'll walk back. Resin, she said. It's, it's five miles down the road. You're, you're not going to walk back. Please, I said, almost sounding desperate. She nodded and folded her arms. Just be safe. I, I don't like the feeling of this at all. She got back into the truck and followed the ambulance back into town. I turned back to the smoldering rubble and began my inspection. And as always... They're accepting admissions at Graymore. The driveway I ran down earlier was slowly being covered in ashen snowflakes. Delicate mixtures of my past hit the ground and dampened my clothes. I brushed off what I could, but began to realize with slow cadence that my childhood was falling around me. I kept taking step after step with growing unease towards the threshold of my youth. What was left of the frame house was beginning to fall in on itself. The doorway stood intact, based on its metal nature. Everything else had been disintegrated. The stairway that led to, up to my siblings' bedrooms was gone. The stairs to the basement looked intact from the doorway. I stepped through and began to look around. The sky was adorned in the most beautiful stars. Tragedy and beauty surrounded me in my old home. The stars reflected on the dark pool in different sheens of light. The crumbling house began and begged the remaining pines to stand, but shortly they fell too. The basement, upon further approach, looked to be intact. To this day, I never knew what drew me into the basement. I didn't know if it was the thrill-seeker in me, if it was the fear that I should have gone the other way. However, I knew that if I didn't go, I would be disappointed.
I ran my eyes along the entrance to the kitchen before my descent and saw a metal box underneath the remnants of some table legs. It appeared my mother's vanity had disintegrated, but her, her table for keys remained mostly intact. The metal box between the uprights shined in the moon. I went to the box and reached out my hands to the touch. It, it's cool, I said in surprise. The box was indeed cool to the touch. A simple coin box, probably used by a money taker at a football game, had two latches on either side. When I went to flip the switches, they opened as if they were well greased. I lifted the lid. Inside was a series of papers and an insignia in the form of a paperweight. The insignia had an axe head attached to a handle in the center with a field of stars above. Holding the axe was a long arm covered in chainmail. Is this Dad's? I said aloud. I flipped over the amulet to see the initials etched into the back. Whoa, croaked my voice. The howl of wind swept through the house and kicked the dust into my face. I recoiled and threw up an arm despite my best efforts, but was blinded in the fervor. The wind snaked itself through the house and was quickly dissipated. When I looked by the door, there was a letter of the alphabet burned into the ground. The letter E, naked now from the dust, was a bold statement in the decay. I whispered to the house and shook my head. It was planned. I grabbed the box and went down the basement stairs to my old room. To my surprise, most of what was down there was intact. A fair majority was burned to a crisp. However, my old journals were still there, along with another surprising discovery, an old family album. When I picked up the book, I found that my hand was sticky. I pulled it away from the book and found that the pages were red with blood. It was smeared all over the back and along the insides of some pages. One page, though, stood out. It was a picture taken back in the summer of 05. We were all in Michigan on Gulf Lake, a small lake outside the booming town of Lewiston. My parents, my siblings, Rufus the dog, and I were all laughing with our string of fish. We would later cook them for dinner, and I smiled at the memory, but frowned at the fact that a bloody handprint was on the page with the fingers smeared over me. I walked back up the stairs and grabbed the small box. I decided it was time to make my way home before the night got too late. I hit the end of the driveway and turned back onto the road towards my house. The pines reflected the moonlight in their silvery tones. Soldiers standing guard, the pines reminded me of when I was in basic training. The scolding of the moonlight drill sergeant was keeping the recruits in line, for the lonely traveler tasting the brine sea. I flourished in this. My hometown was beautiful in a transcendental way. The wanderer gained more insight than the stagnant hermit resident that had proposed a life in the town. The road was starting to acquire the dew, and I wrapped my leather jacket around myself, pressing on. The field I walked beside was starting to show progress of the pumpkin season. Great green vines and corn mazes met the tree line to the west and remained close, like lovers sipping a cola. The box rattled in my hand, which I had to continuously switch with the photo album. 
In between transcendental thoughts, I began to ask aloud about my dad. Those were his initials on the back of the pendant, but why? Why didn't my dad tell me about this thing hidden in plain sight? What's up with these letters laying around? And in the tree line, a hiss broke the night. It came in slow at first, like the sound of a flat tire, but more menacing. With such an open area of space, I thought that it could have been a different area that it came from. To my sheer shock and disappointment, it wasn't. The line broke to where I saw a crouched figure moving on all fours in the foliage. It had a tattered robe on with long white hands. The hair on the back was dark brown and the skin looked rotten in the moonlight. I plucked up the courage in the instant to call out to it. Hey! I shouted. It stopped dead in its tracks and turned the hood towards me. The top half of the face, covered by the hood, gave little away. The bottom half, however, was in plain view. Teeth. Viciously whitened pearls reflected off the moonlight back at me. These teeth broke into a viciously obtuse smile. So much so that I thought the face would break. Holes were alongside the mouth and the face. The hooded monster rose on two legs, turned its body toward me in one deft, jerking motion, and broke into a dead sprint. It was headed for me. jumped at the sight and took off in a dead sprint. I dared not look back. The one time that I did reveal the monster hitting the pavement and running on all fours towards me. Mouth agape as if to head after me in a feeding frenzy, the monster decided that I would be the next course. The moan that came out sounded much like a laugh, but later turned into a scream. I kept sprinting around the bends in the road, running past the three-mile marker. I saw the road disappear into the pines. I went to the barrier wall and jumped over the side, hiding on the embankment. The creature let out one last blood-curdling scream and climbed to the opposite side of the road, heading up the steep incline towards the woods surrounding Greymoor. I waited for five minutes, then climbed back onto the road, and I checked my phone. It was shortly after midnight. I did a double take, realizing that the time had gone in reverse. I looked around, noticing the same trees and same everything. Where the hell did time go? I began to shiver, thinking that maybe I should have gone with Amy after all. Good evening, one and all. My name is Dylan Derringer with some more updates on the homecoming dance. It seems the final ballots are in the printing press waiting for the big day. I'm ecstatic that the ballot found someone like Thorne and myself on it, to say the least. I'm sure it's due to the natural cadence in my voice that everyone wants me to give the best damned speech this dance has ever witnessed. But, naturally. Good luck to Thorn, my competitor. I hope the wind finds your favor and lifts you to new height of your popularity. Fall break is also around the corner. Be sure to enjoy the frivolity while on break. Remember, it will be after the big Saturday dance. 
The mass exodus for the week will take place and then back again the following Sunday. I will probably still broadcast to those who are still stuck here over break. Be sure to curl up in a good blanket at the moon's loft, where they will be serving up some games for the remnants. That will be spearheaded by Lucia Frey. Rumor has it that video game tourneys will take place for gift cards. If you like your Java like I do, then you'll want to tuck into the games down at the moon's loft. No one is sure why the explosion happened at the frat house. It appears to be a freak accident. Be sure to check for unusual smells in your rooms and light no candles. Not that you would have them on your persons or in your rooms, right, Graymore? Surely, no student wants the great smell of autumn pumpkin pie in their space. Alas, my newsroom always smells of the fervent crisp pie. Come around this time of year. So be sure to do nothing of this sort until the all clear has been given. Call Campo or maintenance with any specific concerns at the number on the inside of your doors. Finally, your favorite portions. Forecast and dinner. Ah. An ashen sky tonight, menacing almost in a different kind of way. It's imposing to rain, but I believe it will hold off for the most part until the end of the week. More cold temperatures on the way, 50s and 60s again, folks. It'll be rough for the next few months, but expect it to be all right eventually. Dinner will be a very bland portion of meat and potatoes. I can't even guarantee what the meat is. Folks, you know I really can't. I believe it's a, some type of a fowl, a bird, a roast. It's indecipherable, to be completely honest. I want to double-check the potatoes for worms as well. Well, that's it for me this night. I'm Dylan Derringer signing off. Graymore, you beautiful drowned rat, may you sleep sweet sorrows of joy this night and feel blessed in your hearts to still be alive. shut off the voicemail. How, how the hell does he get into our phones? I said. I looked around the bend of the road and double-checked my watch. It was 12.05. I kept thinking I was missing something huge when I got a text from Jeff. I was headed down the road and saw your old house. Did you make it out okay? Where are you guys? Hyphen, J. I looked up from the text as Jeff's truck pulled up beside me. Where where the hell is... Can you take me back to my house? I, I can explain on Thursday. Sure, man. Hop in. Jeff drove me back to the house, and we sat in silence. Twenty minutes later, I thanked Jeff and slammed the door to his truck shut. Amy peeked out the window and opened the door. Hey, did, did you find anything at your parents' place? Yeah, actually, I said a little shaken. There's this uh, weird box, this tin tin box, and the, the basement was mostly intact. No, no heat damage or anything? To the basement? Not, not really. Even the old family photo book survived. Huh. Weird. She mumbled and headed to bed. I climbed the stairs to the attic and sighed, throwing the tin box, the book, and the amulet on the desk. I flicked on the light. The scuttling sound scratched the airways as I snapped to my left. 
The gas mask was floating six feet above the floor. It cocked to the side and advanced towards me. I began to back away from it slowly, about ready to yell when it dropped instantly and hit the floor. I put my back to the wall and slid to the floor. Panting heavily, I had my phone in my hand, about ready to call Thorn. However, I put the phone back to the home screen and took a picture of the mask. The moonlight caught the window, and on the floor, a letter appeared in the cross beams of glass. My mouth fell open as I noticed the letter T that the frame made. It was a stretch, but I began to understand that the mask was trying to tell me something. Whether it was friendly or not was to be determined, but one thing was for sure. I was now paying attention. Directed by Joseph Byers. You can find out more about Graymore at uh, the Graymore Facebook page and on Twitter at Graymore Podcast. Comments, questions, or concerns? Email us at JOS, the letter R, B Y E R S. As I stated before in the first episode, this is going to be a double episode week and then back to our bi weekly schedule as usual. And with that, I hope your night is filled with endless moons and vibrant stars.